This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We're going to tonight start a new series. And as I was reading in our, our Bible 365, Bible 365 is, is one of our Bible plans. You can get it on our, our, on our website. You can get it on, on our app. I believe they have it on Ark Info as well. It's a very simple way to read through the New Testament. If you, if you read a chapter a day, five days a week, you can read through the New Testament in one year. And if you miss some days during the week, you can catch up on the weekends. And then you, if you add things like, uh, we even have Old Testament passages and Psalms and Proverbs. And I was reading in our reading uh, just a couple of days ago. And this, this one verse really stood out to me. It's 2 Corinthians 4.1. And it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And when I, I read that losing heart, in fact, in one chapter, Paul mentions it twice. He says, we do not lose heart. And when I read that, it, it just really stood out to me. As I've, as I've talked with people, as I've talked with other pastors, one of the things that's been very challenging I think pastors have noticed it and other people have noticed it is that the spiritual condition of, of people, even as they've come back and, you know, when we started June, we had, we had a lot of people that came back and then the things spiked up and we saw those numbers decline. But outside of just a couple of weeks there, as people came back, we noticed there was almost a tiredness about people, that there was a weariness. And, and we can certainly understand when you deal with difficult things over a period of time, it can wear you down. And, and I really, as, as I'm praying now, I, I, this will be along the, the avenue that we pray. We still have our prayer teams that meet. We're going to continue. But we're going to start praying along these lines because what we feel is happening is, is people are beginning to lose heart. Now, let me explain a, a little bit of that. Uh, to, to lose heart, if you see it in, in the scriptures, means to lose one's courage to lose courage, to be faint-hearted and despondent in the face of, of trial and difficulty. Some translations may read, if you don't faint. Now, I've never fainted, come close, but I've, I've, I've never fainted. I can tell you it's not a strong position. Matt was uh, about five years old and, or, or thereabouts, and he fell in the bathtub and he cut his chin, just sliced it. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, this looks like a trip to the doctor. This, this, this looks like stitches. And I told Joy, I said, sweetheart, we're going to have to take Matt up to uh, the emergency room. We're going to need to get him stitches. And said, so when you go upstairs, I said, I need you to, when you see him, I need you to stay calm because he's calm. He, you know, I think he has a high pain threshold. It didn't bother him. And he was just fine. And Joy walked in and she sees him and this look on her face, she goes, <gasps> she, she reacts, not good. And as soon as she reacted, he reacted. And I had to kind of step in. And she, she, she had to kind of double clutch it and get back. Oh, no, you're, you're okay, you're okay. So we took him to the, to the, uh, the hospital. Now, th this is what surprised me because my wife, she's little, but she's tough. And so I thought, man, if anyone's going to just be with me standing right there, it's going to be joy. I was wrong because we stood there and they laid Matthew down, and they were going to say, well, we're going to have to put some anesthesia in there, and then we'll stitch him up. He's going to need some stitches. And they pulled out this needle. I don't like needles. 
And then they take the needle and they stick it right in the cut. And I, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little woozy. And I look over at Joy, she's gone. She's, she left the room. She just completely abandoned me. And, and she didn't want to fake. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of weaving. And in fact, the, the nurse looked at me. She said, do we need a chair for dad? I'm like, no, dad is okay. But I understand that idea of faint. If anyone faints, you don't feel like you're really in a strong place. And so the idea of fainting in your heart, being faint hearted is, is not a, a, a position of strength. And so Paul said, we don't lose heart. That means to be faint hearted. It means to lose one's courage in the face of trial and difficulty. Now, I'm just going to give you a definition of courage. I thought this was a good one. The state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger, fear, or changes in circumstances with self-possession, confidence, and resolution. Bravery. So it says you're able to face. Now, it didn't say you didn't have feelings. I think this is where sometimes people think, well, I don't have any courage. I don't have any courage because I saw this situation and my knees were knocking. And, and no, but if you faced it, you've got more courage than you think. And so it says courage is the ability to face difficulty. It didn't say to, to, to never have any. I think we watch too many movies. And, and in the movies, especially action movies, they're all cool. They, they never act like they're afraid. The whole idea with the James Bond series is that James Bond is totally, utterly cool. He never, he never shows hardly any kind of fear. At least I know the old ones. Maybe the new one does because they've had them modernizing. But the old one showed no fear whatsoever. And people think, well, man, if I'm going to be courageous, then I'm not going to have any feelings of fear. No, no, no. You can have all kinds of feelings. But if you stay in there and face the situation, that's courage. And so the, the, the scriptures are encouraging. We're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus said about courage and then how we can develop courage. So we'll probably spend a few weeks on this because I think it's very important that at this time, we, we understand that we're going to have to be courageous. We're facing some difficulty. We're facing difficulties. You may be facing it on a, on a family level or an individual level, facing it on a church level. It's once again, we're, we're forced to stop. We're facing it on a, an area-wide level and certainly on a national level. And so as we're looking at the things going on in our world, it's going to take courage to be able to face these things, these difficulties, these tough decisions, to be able to face them. Thank God we have the ability to have courage. Now, when Jesus talked about it, Jesus actually talked about courage, but it's going it's to surprise you because when you look through the scripture, you, you don't actually, in the New Testament, you don't actually see the word courage used but one time. That's in the book of Acts. Paul saw some, some believers, people he had been a part of their life, he saw them again, the Bible said, and he took courage. But other than that, you don't see the word used. But there is a word that is used, that Jesus used, that we're going to take a look at tonight because it's a different word for courage, but yet it does mean courage. In Matthew, the 14th chapter, verses 23 through 27. And when he, Jesus, had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, I, I, I love a couple of things here. One, you know, Jesus was not trying to scare them. As soon as he determined that they were afraid, he immediately spoke, which I think is interesting. I know some people, maybe you're one of them, who just get the biggest kick out of scaring people. And I have to admit, I have done that to joy on numerous occasions. And it's fun because sometimes I've just snuck up. She might be working and turned around and I would sneak up behind her and just stand there. And she would turn around and jump. And um, you can only do that so much. And then it kind of gets a little old. But I, I think it's interesting that Jesus never scared his disciples. He never snuck up and jumped in the boat and went, it's me. Now, I know some people think that's funny. Evidently, Jesus does not think fear is funny. Because as soon as these guys begin to cry out for fear, he spoke immediately. He spoke to them. But listen to what he said. He said, be of good cheer. Now, when we think of that, I, I, I don't know about you, but every time I've heard be of good cheer, I always thought it meant be happy. Be of good cheer because we associate the word cheer with cheerful. And so <laughs> Jesus is walking on the water. They think it's a ghost and he does not say, be cheerful, y'all. That's not what he was, that's not what he would, of course, he wouldn't have used y'all regardless, but that's not what he's saying. He's not just saying, hey, be cheerful. That word, be of good cheer, means to have courage. It actually means to have boldness. And it's very interesting that when you see the word be of good cheer, it's not talking about, hey, just be happy. It means be bold and be courageous. So it could have very easily read, have courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Jesus was telling them, giving them instructions to have courage. Now, here's something that I think can encourage us. If Jesus did not want his disciples afraid in a storm, how much more does he not want us afraid in a storm? The storms of life have come, and many people are dealing with storms that, that when you started the year 2020, you never thought you'd be dealing with them, but you are. And you're dealing with storms and, and the tendency to be afraid. The good news is he does not want us afraid in the storms of life. And here's another thing. He said, well, he didn't want his disciples afraid. He was right there. Yes, but he also left us a promise that he would not leave us or forsake us. Look at Hebrews. It's one of my favorite verses. Hebrews said, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So when the, the tendency to be afraid is if, if you're dealing with storms, maybe they're financial storms, maybe they're storms in your family, or just individually, maybe mentally, you're just having a hard time processing all this. If Jesus came and stood next to you, what would his words be to you? Well, one, he would tell you, I'm with you. I'm right here. The second thing he would tell you is be courageous. It's me. Don't be afraid. So we see Jesus 
when he's talking with his disciples, he tells them, don't be afraid. Here's, a, here's another opportunity where Jesus talks about being of good cheer. It's Acts, the 23rd chapter. A little context of this, this is Paul getting towards the end of Paul's life. He's gone back to Jerusalem. And as he goes back to Jerusalem, man, there were some Jewish people that did not like Paul. It seems like they had nothing meaner than religious spirits. And buddy, these, these Jewish people, they were just absolutely trying to, to kill him. And so Paul got into the middle of this huge discussion where he had the Sadducees on one side and the Pharisees on the other side. And Paul said, hey, I'm a Pharisee and, and for the resurrection of the, the dead, I'm called in question. Well, the Pharisees believe there's a resurrection and the Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection. So Paul was really brilliant by doing this because he started a battle between the two of them. And they almost forgot Paul, but, but look, look what happened here in, in Acts 23. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, once again, we're seeing that word again. He's not telling Paul, hey, Paul, be happy. You're a prisoner here, but be happy. He said, no. He said, Paul, you need to take courage. He said, because you have testified of me in Jerusalem, testified of Jesus. Paul would constantly testify that Jesus Christ was the way to salvation, whether you were Jewish or whether you were a non-Jewish Greek or barbarian, didn't matter where you were from, it was Jesus that was the way to salvation. That was his, his message, was the grace of God that has appeared to all men. So Paul was preaching that message. Well, the Jews didn't like that message because it took away from their Jewish laws and traditions and put it on grace as opposed to their works. And so, man, they were stirred up. They were trying to kill him. But Jesus said, Paul, take courage because you have testified of me here in Jerusalem. You're going to do it in Rome also. Now, let me just add something here because this is important. Jesus stood by him. So evidently he had a vision of Jesus standing right there by him. Say, well, can Jesus do that? Yes, he can do that. He's God. There's a spiritual realm that I don't think we know hardly anything about. But when Jesus showed up, he showed up to encourage Paul. People say, well, I, I really wish Jesus would show up and, and talk to me. He doesn't do it a whole lot, but I've heard someone say, and I agree, if when God moves really, really supernaturally to give you a word, there's some rough sailing up ahead. And there was some rough sailing up ahead for Paul. And so Jesus gave him that word. He said, you've testified of me in Jerusalem. You're going to need to testify of me in Rome also. So he gave him a word. Well, if you think, if you look a little bit later into Paul's life, Paul stayed in prison for a couple of years before he ever got to Rome. So probably what gave him courage was he's sitting there in that prison and maybe the thoughts are starting to go through his mind. I'm never going to get out of here. And yet... He remembered that word that Jesus had, you're going to have to testify of me in Rome also. And then remember, Paul was on the ship and they hit that horrible storm and Paul is thinking, <coughs> excuse me, Paul is thinking, man, I'm, I'm in a bad situation. We're, we're all going to die here. But again, that word I'm sure helped him. Paul's thinking, okay, I got to go testify of God in Rome. And sure enough, an angel came and spoke to him and said, Paul, you got to go to Rome. 
God's given you everyone on the ship. Now, that wasn't it for Paul. Ship wrecks. Paul winds up on, a, on the beach, on a, uh, on a little island there. He's reaching down to get some sticks and a snake bites him. <laughs> Paul's thinking to himself, what else have I got to deal with? So he, the Bible said he shook it off and, and felt no harm. I'm sure probably one of the biggest things that held him was the fact that Jesus said, take courage, Paul. You've testified of me in Jerusalem. You're going to have to do it in Rome also. Now, here's a great question. As you're dealing with these challenges, as we're dealing with these challenges in life that are going on right now, do you have a word that you know the Lord has spoken to you? Now, I didn't say the Lord appearing to you and standing in front of you. I'm talking about something that he's witnessed to your heart. Maybe as you're reading your, your Bible, your devotional time, this is why we encourage you to read uh, Bible 365, just like I was reading the other day, and a phrase, and just one phrase, not lose heart, how that stood out to me. Listen, God can do, he can talk to you. He didn't stop talking to his people. And the Holy Spirit can witness a scripture to your heart. That's one of the ways I, I say over these past 38 years that Joy and I have been married, that we've been able to handle some of the problems that we've dealt with, is we've had a word that would hold us steady. It started years ago when I was away from God. And, and the Lord gave my mama a word out of Isaiah that both of her children would come back and she held on. And that word helped give her courage when it did not look like I was anywhere close to coming back to God. Over the years, Joy has had a word when she was so deathly sick, a, a word that would hold her as she's dealing with sickness. We had a word for Grant that God was quickening Grant, our little grandson. I, I actually had a word when it looked like none of my children were able to have children. It looked like there was going to be no grandkids whatsoever. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me a, a word about that, that I, I knew that from the scriptures, that there was going to be a room full. There's going to be a bunch of kids. And so, and, and now we're, now we're at, at five. And so yeah, that might not be a bunch to you, but it's plenty. So as we're, as we're working through that, here's my question. Is there a word that the Lord has spoken to you that will help you during this time. When Joy and I got sick, we were talking to one another, and I had a word out of, um, out of 1 Corinthians 15, 57. This is the word I stood out. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was a word that was quickened to me, and I believe that, hey, we're, we're gonna come through this. And those words, man, they're life to you. They are, they are health to you. They are strength to you. They will give you courage as you deal with the difficult times. So that's a great question. And that's something that you can ask the Lord. Lord, what is your word to me during this time? Now you can take his promises anytime. They apply to you. But there are, there are times when he can just absolutely quicken something to your heart. When I say quicken, you, you, you read it and there's just a little jump and you're like, huh, well, that's good. If you've ever had it happen to you once, you know exactly what I'm talking to. If you've, if you've never had it happen, then ask the Lord, Lord, can you give me a promise? Can you witness to me? And someone can mention it. You can hear it in a song. You can be worshiping. All of a sudden, something, something will come alive. We were, we were singing one Sunday, and I know Justin and, and Mary Beth had been dealing with something, and they were singing something about through the storm. And as soon as I heard it, I, I knew in my heart they were coming through this storm. And so, man, God's good. He's got so many ways to help and bless his people and he will do it for you. It's not just for preachers. 
It's not just for church people or perfect people because none of us are, but it's for people who have a heart for God and is very sincere before God say, would you help me with this? I'm facing a difficult time. Can you give me a word that I can stand on? And he will. He'll, he'll meet you right there. So Jesus stood with Paul. And then here's some of Jesus' final instructions. It's in John 16, 33. Now, I don't think this verse made it, has made it to very many refrigerators. You know how people have great verses on refrigerators? This is probably not one. Um, and John 16, 33 said, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Once again, that be of good cheer is not be happy or be cheerful. It is take courage, have boldness, for I've overcome the world. So Jesus is talking in this. And, and by the way, that tribulation, you know, you know tribulation sounds horrible, doesn't it? Just like tribulation, you're thinking, oh, tribulation, that, that's got to be the worst of the worst. Actually, tribulation simply means to crush, to press, to compress, or to squeeze. Well, what does that sound like? Pressure. Sounds just like pressure. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have pressure. I, I know that I can't hear you say amen, but some of you are going, amen. There has been pressure. This virus has put pressure on. The, the job situation, having all the family at home, has put pressure on. But Jesus said, take courage even in the middle of pressure because he said, I've overcome the world. That means he's overcome all the negativity, all the sickness, all the death, all the fear, all the junk. He's already overcome it. And thank God we have a relationship with him. So Jesus said, hey, he said, in me, you're going to have peace. He said, in the world, that's where we are. He said, you'll have pressure. Be of good cheer, he said, but take courage. Be courageous. Face it with resolution. Face it without flinching because we're in him. He's overcome the world. And we're, we're, we're connected to him. That's a good thing. So those are three opportunities where Jesus talked about taking courage. Now I'm going to start... I'm going to start this next section. We will not finish it tonight. We're going to get back to it next week because we want to spend some time here. But I want to talk a little bit about what helps us keep our courage. And some of it comes right out of the verse that we shared at the very beginning. We call it our text verse. It's in 2 Corinthians 4.1. Let's look at it again. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose courage. That's why we've called this series Keeping Courage. We're not losing our courage. We're keeping it. He said, but why are we keeping it? He says, because we have received mercy. Now, Paul had a good understanding of God's mercy in his life. Before he turned to Christ, Paul was a man who, who had Christians killed. He was standing by when they stoned Stephen. He was agreeing to it. He, was, he would actually split up families by taking Christians and pulling them out of their homes and putting them in prison. This was not a good guy. And Paul understood that his life was an example of God's mercy. Now look at this verse in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Paul is talking, he's writing to Timothy. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
for whom I'm chief. He said, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, dealing with long, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Here's one of the, here's one of the things that Paul's saying is, look, you, he said, you have to look at my life as a pattern. I did these things. I killed Christians. I, I hurt people's lives. I wrecked lives. I, I did everything I could. He was an enemy of the church. He said, and yet God showed mercy on him. He had merciful kindness to him. Mercy means loving kindness, acts of kindness, acts of faithfulness, acts of love. It really begins to describe who God is. And said, here, here Paul was doing everything he could to destroy the name of Jesus, to destroy Jesus' disciples. And Jesus speaks to him one time and says, Paul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And they had a conversation and Paul turned his heart over to the Lord. He said, I am such an example of mercy. I've heard people say, you know, Alan, you don't know how bad I've lived. You, you don't know all the things I've done and, and how, how bad my life was, you know. And so I, I don't know that the Lord would ever save me. Listen, I doubt very seriously you spent your lifetime trying to kill Christians and break up Christian families and do everything you could to stop the church. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this guy was bad. He's saying, look, if God can do this for me, he can do this for you. So no one has to say, I am way out beyond God's mercy. There's no one beyond God's mercy. His mercy, the, the verse from the Psalms, in the Psalms itself, there's, and we'll talk about this next week, David had such a concept of God's mercy. You see the word mercy used about a hundred times, just in the Psalms. He said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Guys, listen, one of the things that helps us keep our courage is understanding the goodness and the mercy of God. You may have a, a life that, that your background was rough and you're thinking, I, I don't, could God ever accept me? The answer is yes. Maybe your life wasn't so rough. Maybe you haven't done much. You still need God's mercy. All of us need his mercy, but his mercy is powerful. And Paul understood that. And Paul began to talk about how God had mercy on him. I don't know that, that we talk enough about it. As I began to study this out, I thought, you know what? We don't discuss mercy as much as we should. But we ought to talk about how God is merciful, loving kindness, gracious. And we'll see next week how David has such confidence in God's mercy Confidence in God's mercy had to play a part in the courage that David had as he faced challenges in life. Man, if you know that God is really good and really merciful and really for you, boy, won't that make a difference when we face the challenges of life? Let's go ahead and stop right there. And listen, I, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never, you've never had a chance to receive God's mercy Paul talked about it. They said, we've, we've received mercy. I've received mercy. If you know anyone who's a, a Christian who has received Jesus as their Lord, they've received mercy. So all of us are, are people who have received mercy. Maybe you never have. Or maybe you have and you got away from God and you realize in your life, man, I, I need to come back. Well, we're going to say a very simple prayer. And if you're by yourself, I'm just to encourage you, bow your head, but pray this prayer out loud. If you're with other people, you can pray it quietly with me. But it's such, a, it's such a powerful prayer. And it's a prayer acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's the one who saves you. He's the one that forgives us. 
He's the one that restores us and his mercy and his love are the total reasons he does it, not because we ever earned it. So let's do this. Would you bow your head with me? And we're going to pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.